Good morning. It's Thursday, August 12th. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. In states across the U.S., COVID shots are expiring and being thrown away. I'm talking about potentially millions of them being trashed. Meanwhile, only about 1% of all manufactured doses have gone to low-income countries. A lot of people are asking, why doesn't the United States send unused shots to other countries? NPR explains it's just not that easy to do. There are a few different obstacles in the way. First, a state can't just send leftover doses directly to another country. They need federal permission. And we've talked a lot about how tricky it is to transport these vaccines, to store them and keep them at the right temperature. One expert NPR spoke with worries pulling doses back from states comes with all sorts of new risks. There are also legal concerns. Some drug makers worry about international liability issues. Those issues are real, but it doesn't make it any less frustrating when states throw away unused vaccines. In North Carolina, more than 500,000 doses could expire at the end of this month. Alabama recently threw away 65,000 shots. The health secretary of Arkansas told NPR, after all the work that went into getting these vaccines made, it's disappointing to see many people in this country not accepting them. That's why one law professor NPR spoke to is arguing federal officials need to work with states to get unused doses that are likely to be trashed to countries that need them. He says it may be complicated, but cutting through red tape can save lives. Pandemic working from home introduced us to the concept of the Zoom town, These are places where people who could work remotely moved during lockdowns. When workers didn't have to commute to offices in San Francisco or New York, the ones who could afford to made new lives in places with scenery and fresh air. Urban arrivals, they marveled at how much space they could get for their money in smaller towns. But the folks who had already been living there year-round, they got worried about how the newcomers with their bigger budgets might impact housing prices. The Washington Post looks at this darker side of the pandemic real estate boom. It takes us to Truckee, California, on the shore of Lake Tahoe. It's a popular vacation spot, and a lot of well-off people in the Bay Area have a second home there. Last year, the median home price topped a million dollars. Property owners saw a good opportunity, and they sold. And that sent longtime renters scrambling to find somewhere to live. Flora Andrade lived in the area for 10 years, After the house she and her family rented sold, they found themselves trying to find housing in a brutal market. They looked for two months but couldn't find anything affordable. So they gave up and moved out of state. I felt like I'm being squeezed out. Like you're in the bottom of the barrel and you're being dumped. As longtime residents leave Truckee, those remaining worry about the town's character. The Post talks to a former mayor who hopes that this boom can settle into something more balanced. Newcomers could create a healthier year-round economy, one that's not so dependent on ski season or summer tourism. But without more housing, people like Floor will have to think of Zoom towns as places to visit, not places to live. (music) 
Members of the Quinault Indian Nation in Washington State have lived at sea level for thousands of years. But that's all changing. The Seattle Times explains how climate change is forcing them to move to higher ground. Last winter, ocean waves breached the seawall. Dozens of buildings in the village were flooded. We spoke with reporter Linda Mapes about the impact. The emotional toll is, I think, something that would be hard for a non-Indigenous person to even understand. When you're talking about people whose family ties to a place go back for generations uncounted, you are part of that landscape in a very real way. This week, Interior Secretary Deb Holland, the first Native American cabinet secretary, spoke to tribal leaders in the village about government efforts to help deal with the effects of climate change. The infrastructure bill moving through Congress includes more than $200 million for indigenous people to make changes or relocate. But being displaced from the land where your family has lived for generations is a tough pill to swallow. Your gathering places, your hunting places, burying grounds, and those places were reserved for them and by them through courageous acts under the worst kind of duress and violence by their ancestors in the treaties. So to now being literally chased out of those places, this time not by the cavalry, not by the U.S. Army, not by the settlers, but by a changing climate that's changing because of economic activity from which many of these tribes never benefited. It is just yet another cruel twist in the history in this country. And it's not just about rising sea levels. There are other tribal communities on the coast of Washington, the Quileute, the Ho, the Macaw, that are also facing acute changes because of rising seas, storm surge, increasing rain, melting glaciers, loss of salmon. Inland, we have tribes in Washington state that are losing forest land that's burning up in uncontrolled wildfires such as we've never seen. They're losing medicinal plants. They're losing berries. They're losing roots. These are not luxuries. These are the things that Indian people need to live as Indian people. You can read more about this story and find other great reporting in the Read Local feature in the Apple News app. That's where we highlight standout stories from local news outlets across the country. When was the last time you heard natural silence? No man-made noises, just the sound of nature. Yeah, it's been a while for me, too. Take a nice long listen to this recording. It was captured deep in a national park in Taiwan. You hear the insects? The birds? Natural silence. It has a calming effect, and it's increasingly hard to find. CNN introduces us to an organization called Quiet Parks International. Their goal is to identify and advocate for the last true quiet places on the planet— it all starts with traveling to these places and recording. It turns out, even when you go to remote corners of wilderness or deep in the oceans, it's hard to escape the rumblings of human activity. Quiet is important because it's a natural resource. That's Matt Mickelson. He records these places for quiet parks. For humans, we know that exposure to excessive noise is linked to all sorts of higher blood pressure, higher levels of stress hormone, higher risk of cardiovascular disease. And the antidote to all that bad stuff is quiet. CNN was with Mickelson in Boundary Waters. That's in Minnesota. No cars or boats are allowed in this area. That's huge. 
Imagine a million acres. But later, in his studio, when he went through the audio, he still found interference. You can see this kind of low-frequency buildup. And it sounds pretty subtle, but then it's a commercial jet, probably, flying really far away. And then down here, these thumps are the sound of a grouse drumming when an airplane flies over and the grouse is trying to call, they're competing for space on the frequency spectrum. If it's too noisy, Boundary Waters might not qualify as a quiet park. So far, this organization has certified three parks and it's studying hundreds more. The hope is to encourage preservation and appreciation for natural silence. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're in the app, keep listening to hear narrated articles from our News Plus partners. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.